Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Three verses this morning of the first chapter, and I'm going to come right back and read it from the Good News translation. So, and then I'm going to to uh, preach just from these three verses this morning. The message is going to be entitled, The Greatness of God's Son. The Greatness of God's Son. This evening we'll begin at verse 4 and conclude the first chapter. It begins in this manner, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now let me read it again, this time from the Good News Translation. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors many times and in many ways through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. He is the one through whom God created the universe the one whom God has chosen to possess all things at the end. He reflects the brightness of God's glory and is the exact likeness of God's own being, sustaining the universe with his powerful word. After achieving forgiveness for the sins of mankind, he sat, in, he, he sat down in heaven at the right side of God the supreme power. Let us pause for a moment of prayer. Lord God, you speak to us in so many ways, and we pray that you will speak to us today. We come as your children. We come with many burdens and problems. We come with concerns in our heart for those who are ill and for those who are hospitalized. We come with difficulties in our life over our work. Some who have difficulties because they have no work. Others difficulties at work. We come with family burdens of parents and children and relatives who create such burdens upon us. We come with the uncertainties of the future. We come, our Father, in the midst of all these things, to praise your holy name. For we recognize that you're at work in our midst and in our own individual lives. We find you at work in our community. We find you at work in our church. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your spirit as he has dealt with us in these past days. We thank you for bringing us to a time in our life when we can turn our lives to you and pray that you would bless us 
that we might in turn glorify you. Take us into your care this morning and may there something be done or said throughout this service that would touch the life of someone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The greatness of God's Son. A word or a statement really spoken by the book of Hebrews. You know, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. The book doesn't say. Many scholars attribute it that it may have been written by Paul. But there's no way to prove that because in all of Paul's writings, he begins by identifying himself. And this book does not identify the author. There are a lot of people, scholars, who believe that it was written by Aquila. You remember the couple Aquila and Priscilla? That it may very well be, and in some historical uh, documents, but uh, people who do that type of thing have studied, suggest that there's a possibility that he may have written it. It really makes no difference who wrote it. God is the author. What man may have uh, penned it is of little consequence, because God is the author, but it is written to Christian people. It was written primarily to Jewish Christian people. But it certainly has a message for us. And throughout the, the book of Hebrews, we're going to find it talking about the greatness of God, the greatness of Jesus Christ, his supremacy. And we'll find these things uh, coming along all the way through. There are three basic themes that we can say the book of Hebrews actually gives us. The first theme is that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. We'll find that early in the book. Secondly, we find that the book says that Jesus is declared to be the high priest. Now, we don't have a priestly function. Uh, let me say that differently. We don't have a priestly hierarchy in the Baptist church, such as, for example, the Catholic church does and a few others. But there is a, an incident in which we must declare a priesthood in two different occasions. Number one, the scripture declares that we are our own priest, meaning that we have the capability of going to God on our own. In the Old Testament, it was a priest who went to God. He went to God and prayed for the people. People did not pray for themselves. They had somebody pray for them. I remember one time uh, this little story of a preacher who had been called to a church, and on the first Sunday he called on one of the deacons to lead in prayer, and the deacon said, you pray, we, that's what we pay you for. Well, in the Old Testament, that's the way it was. The priest prayed, for that's what they were paid for. But in the New Testament, we find that we become our own priest. We have the capability of praying directly to God. But there is the other incident in which we have a high priest, one who goes behind the veil that was in the temple in the Old Testament days and there prayed for the entire nation and for the sins of all the people. This position Jesus Christ retains. He is our high priest, the one who takes our prayers and goes to God with them, the one who cleans them up and presents them as a holy petition unto God. He is our high priest. 
The prayers that we pray do not go directly to the Father. They must go through Jesus Christ the Son, who becomes our high priest and takes our prayers to the Father. So we find that theme in the book. And then thirdly, we find the theme in the book that Jesus is the method of salvation for the believer. Jesus is the method of salvation for the believer. Well, he begins the book by identifying that in past times, God spoke to people directly by the word of mouth. That is the Father, God the Father, Yahweh, Jehovah, spoke to his people by word of mouth. Primarily, he spoke to his people through the prophets. That is, God spoke to the prophets, and the prophets told the people what God had to say. There was direct verbal conversation between God and Abraham, for example. There was direct conversation between God and Isaiah and Elijah or Moses we remember well that God spoke to Moses right out of the burning bush, by, not by some internal uh, idea that as Moses stood looking at the burning bush that he understood that God was in it, not that at all. The word of God, the voice of God came out of that bush and spoke directly to Moses, out loud, verbally. He did that. The prophets were the mouthpiece of God the Old Testament. But the Jewish people understood this. And now the writer to the Hebrews comes along and says, but now in this time, in this day and age, God no longer speaks by word of mouth to people. He speaks to us through his son, through his son, Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you, God still speaks. If you haven't heard God, it's because you're not listening. Because God still has something to say. He just does it in a different way than he did in the Old Testament. He speaks to us through this word. As we read the Bible, we suddenly hear God saying things to us. If you want to hear what God has to say, read what he's written. Read what he's written. If you want to hear what God has to say, spend some quiet time in prayer and listen to him. And it will be a still small voice within us that begins to commune with our spirit and we find out that God is saying some things to us. The biggest problem is most of us are so busy in our lives dealing with making a living and taking care of our families and doing all the other things that we feel that we need to do that we don't stop to listen to see what God has to say to us. Now let's get to the meat of these three verses. The writer to Hebrews describes Jesus Christ. And the first description that he gives of Jesus is to call him the creator. It is by Jesus Christ that God created in the King James, the worlds, plural, in the uh, Good News Bible I read, the word universe. Go back to the Gospel of John for a moment. Chapter 1. The very first words of the Gospel of John. When the scripture says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, 
or the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And we understand and know without any question in our minds that the term Word is making reference to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was Jesus Christ who was with God and he was God. That is of the same essence of God. He was a part of the Godhead. All things, verse 3, here's the key to it. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Who created the world? We say God created the world. The scripture says Jesus Christ created the world. Yes, because he was God. God the Father instructed God the Son to bring into being this whole world. He is the creator of it. Who owns this world? Well, obviously the creator of the world owns it. Do you own anything? We've talked about this in days gone by. What do you own? A bank account? Don't you believe it. That doesn't belong to you at all. Do you own an automobile? Do you own some property? No, you own nothing. I own nothing. Why? Because we did not bring it into being. It all was brought into being by the Creator, who is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, and our Savior. Ephesians 3.9 says that God created all things by Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.6, I think we need to go there. As soon as I can find it. it. Says this. I did say Colossians 1.6, did I not? 1.16. Sorry. I knew it didn't look right. Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, but notice the last three words, and for him. This world was not created for you and me. It was created for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right. He is called the Creator. One of these days I'm going to preach a sermon on evolution. Not this morning, but I am going to make reference to it. I've been doing some study on the subject. I bought a book just recently written by a fellow, a, a minister, a theologian from Australia who tears evolution absolutely to bits by good evidence See, there are lots of people who believe that evolution is a science and, and, and Christianity is a religion. And we will see whenever I get around to preaching that sermon that that's not true at all. Evolution is a religion, not a science. Because there is not one of evidence, one bit of evidence that can be scientifically proven in the process of evolution. The scripture says that God created the world. And science says that it evolved. 
somehow from a mass of almost nothingness. Back in 1962, a man by the name of John Eccles, who is a neurophysicist, whatever, I'm not quite sure all that means, except I know what physicist is, and I know what neuro is, and you put them together, and you've got a man who has some, some quite some intelligence about him. He says that the odds against or for having the right combination of all things in the world to fall together to bring into being intelligent life just by chance, by the evolutionary process, has an odd of one in, listen to this odd figure and see if you want to gamble on it, one in 400,000 trillion, 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 trillion. I can't even state that number. The chances of things falling into place to bring living life, well, that's redundant, bringing life into existence by chance, 400,000 trillion, 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 trillion. And yet, the peoples of this world want to say that the world came into existence by chance and reject the teachings of the scripture that God created the world. Which do you want to follow? So, Jesus is identified as the creator. And if you do not know Jesus Christ... I'd like for you to know my friend this morning because I have a friend that created the world. One of the proudest introductions that I ever have made of me, and, and many, many times I'm introduced to strange groups as I preach and teach and so on. You can call me all kinds of things and put my degree and all those things behind my name, which means nothing. But when somebody stands up and says, I want to introduce you to my friend, I'm as proud as I can be. Because that identifies a relationship that is important. Listen, I'm proud this morning to be able to introduce you to my friend Jesus Christ, who is the creator of the world. He's the creator. But he's not only that. He goes on to say that he is the possessor of all things. The possessor of all things. He is not only the creator of the universe, he owns the universe. When the wise men came into Jerusalem at the birth of Jesus Christ, they came asking a question, and the question was, where is he that is born king? Did you hear the emphasis? Not born to be king, but he is born already king. I'm talking to you this morning about a person who was born already the possessor of the universe. And he loved you and me enough to want to call us brothers and sisters. How much further up the ladder can you climb? And to be called a dear friend. And to be called a brother or a sister of the creator and the possessor 
of the entire universe. I think I would like to be called a friend of uh, some wealthy billionaire like uh, some of the Rockefellers or the Vanderbilts or J. Paul Getty or you name some of those. I think that would give me uh, some status and I might have some, uh, some leavings along the line that would benefit my life. Listen, we have the position of being that close to the one who owns everything. And how is it that some people don't want to enjoy that friendship? Well, look at verse 3, where he describes Jesus a little further. In the Good News translation, it states that he reflects the brightness of God's glory. This is a description of Jesus. He is a reflection of God. The disciples came to Jesus on one occasion and said to Jesus, Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Show us the Father. But John said in 1 John 4, 12, that no man has seen God at any time. No man has seen him. But he doesn't stop there in verse 12 of that fourth chapter. He goes on with this statement right in the very same verse when he says, If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Now I want us to, just, to dissect that verse a minute. If we love one another, when we see each other, we see the reflection of God. Can you see that? It ought to be possible for me to stand here and look at this congregation and see God. And you ought to be able to return the gaze. We ought to be able to look across the aisles into each other's face and not see individuals, but see God, His reflection. Moses went up into the, into the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And while he was up there, God was going to come by. And God said, you cannot see me and live. Therefore, when I come by, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, in a little, little break in the, in the rock strata. And we've got a hymn that says, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. There, when Moses was to get into that cleft in the rock, and when God would come by, God was going to take his hand and lay it over the opening in the rock. Because the glory and the brightness of God would destroy Moses. He had to be covered. For God was too bright to look at. No man can see God and live. And God put his hand over the cleft of the rock and went on by. And then when his hand came up, Moses was able to look out from his hiding place and he could see the backside only of God. But the scripture says that when he came down off of that mountain with the Ten Commandments, he was a glow. He was a glow. And they noticed that his face was shining. Here's the words from 
Exodus 34, 29, his face was shining because he had been speaking with the Lord. I think it ought to be possible for this world to know that we have been speaking to the Lord because the evidence ought to be radiating out from us. We ought to be shining. Can anybody tell when you've been in prayer, when you come out of your private place of prayer, that that's what you've been doing? But I think it ought to be possible that people can recognize that there's something of difference about us because we ought to be reflecting the very image of God. This is what Hebrews said Jesus was doing. He was reflecting the Father. Secondly, he says that he was the exact likeness of the Father. The exact likeness of God's own being. That again is from the Good News translation. Jesus said to his disciples when they said to him, Show us the Father. And Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Get to know Jesus Christ and you'll find out because he's the exact likeness of God. Thirdly, he says that he sustains the universe by his word. He is the sustainer of this old world. And fourthly, I want to uh, emphasize this fourth point. He is the one who achieves the forgiveness of our sins. Will you notice that there in the scripture? He's not only the sustainer of the universe, but he is the one uh, that is the achiever of our forgiveness. Now, the... Good News Bible says he achieves forgiveness for our sins. The King James Bible says he purges our sins. The New American Standard Version says he makes purification of sins. Well, listen, I don't care what translation you read out of. The point is that Jesus cleansed me and you of our sins by his blood on the cross. Amen. And that's why we ought to be the reflection of God. That's why we ought to portray his image in our lives. Because we've been washed in the blood. Made pure. Cleansed. Forgiven. All those sins have been washed away. We stand uncondemned before Jesus Christ today because of what he did on the cross. Jesus is the forgiver of sins. Then what did he do? He sat down. You notice that? I don't care what book your translation you're reading out of. It says he sat down. But where did he sit down? At the right side of God. The right side indicating the side of, of highest position. He sat down. I want to say four things about his sitting down. The sign that it is. First of all, as Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he, and one of the things that he prayed on the cross, and he said, he said seven things on the cross. Seven things on the cross. One of the things that he said was, it is finished. It is finished. 
what did he mean? He meant that he had completed the task that God the Father had assigned to him. His job was to come here and be the sacrifice for the sins of all people. He said, I have done what you sent me to do. I've done it. It's a sign of honor that he sat down on the right hand of the Father. Scripture says in Philippians 2.11 that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now I want you to listen to those words. Every tongue, every person that has ever lived or ever shall live will sometime in their life confess Jesus Christ. Now listen to it. He is in a position of honor sitting now on the right hand of the Father. And someday, every person will bow the knee and confess. You'll confess now or you'll confess later, but you'll confess. You will confess. You confess your sins before Him now and accept Him as your Lord and Savior. And you have the forgiveness of sins and your life ought to radiate God. And you have the assurance of eternal life. You confess him later and you lose all of those assurances. You will hear nothing but the condemnation that will come from that position of honor. Secondly, it's a sign of authority that he sat down on the right hand of God. Listen to 1 Peter 3.22. Referring to Jesus, says, Who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God and angels and authorities and powers being made subject to him. All the angels answer to Jesus Christ. All the authority of the world answers to Jesus Christ. Everybody answers to Jesus Christ at some time or other. Now or later, but all will answer to Jesus Christ. Yes, King Herod who gave the execution order, will someday answer to Jesus Christ. And he will bow the knee before the position of honor and confess him as Lord. But it will be too late to hear anything except condemnation. And thirdly, he sat down to rest. Hebrews 10.12 says, But he having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. And I think you cannot get away from the words. He offered one sacrifice for sin for all time. Did you hear that? One sacrifice for sin for all time. There is no repeating of the death of Christ. Well, lastly, he sat down to intercede. What's he doing on the right hand of the Father? Just doing nothing? No, no, he's very busy because he's interceding for us. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is he who died, yea, rather, who was raised, who is on the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. You need to get to God about anything? I tell you, you're going to have to go through Jesus Christ. That's the only way to get there. The only way. I want to read you something. I suppose you notice that I brought a whole bunch of things up here this morning. I want to read you from, a, from uh, uh, John MacArthur's commentary on the book of Hebrews. 
that he, he quotes somebody, he doesn't even know who it is, but what he says about this person, Jesus Christ, and that's our theme, the greatness of Jesus Christ. Listen to it. Someone has said that Jesus Christ came from the bosom of the Father to the bosom of a woman. He put on humanity that we might put on divinity. He became son of man that we might become sons of God. He was born contrary to the laws of nature. He lived in poverty, was reared in obscurity, and only once crossed the boundary of the land in which he was born, and that in his childhood. He had no wealth or influence, and had neither training nor education in the world's schools. His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. In infancy, he startled a king. In boyhood, he puzzled the learned doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the billows and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries of the world could not hold the books about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs and all songwriters together. He never founded a college, and all the schools together cannot boast of as many students as he has. He never practiced medicine, and yet he has healed more broken hearts, and all the doctors have healed broken bodies. This Jesus Christ is the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the lion and the lamb of zoology, the harmonizer of all discords, the healer of all diseases. Throughout history, great men have come and gone, and yet he lives on. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. Death could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. That's the person we serve. That's our God. That's our Savior. Do you know him? If you're not a Christian this morning, we invite you to come to know him. The same Lord, the same Savior. The creator of the world is the one that died on the cross of Calvary. That you might have life and that I might have life. Most of us, no doubt, have eternal life this morning because we've yielded our lives to the Lord Jesus. You have not. We invite you to do so this morning. Now we pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.